Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. All right, today's not going to be fun. This is, um, I'm, or, I'm just being honest. So we're going to talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage. And it's a obviously very personal and tender topic for many of you, and I can't address each individual situation. I don't know the circumstances, and even if I did, I couldn't. There's too many people in the room. So I'm going to speak very broadly about what I see in the Bible and what I want you to do. Uh, if, this is, if, this stirring, if it's stirring something, one, if you're getting angry, ha- hang in there. Don't, don't shut me down. And if it's, if it's causing maybe some of those more sad emotions... I would love for you to reach out to someone on our staff and we'll do, we would love to talk with you about whatever that is that's being stirred up within you. Terry is, uh, Cantrell is a pastoral counselor on our staff. He would be happy to meet with you or any of our other pastors would. So uh, just saying that as a disclaimer, we're just walking through, the, through Mark and this is what's next. So we want to be faithful um, with this passage. So Mark 10, starting in verse 1, Jesus le- then left that place. And he went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So to be clear, this is not Jesus sitting down and of his own accord saying to his followers, Let me tell you everything there is to know about marriage and divorce and remarriage in the kingdom of God. This is Jesus responding to a question that's not even a genuine question. It's a test. The Pharisees are trying to trap him. How is it a trap to say, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife? Divorce was was accepted in Judaism. So how is that even a question? The place where Jesus was, the territory, it was uh, ruled by a a guy named Herod who had divorced his wife and married his brother's wife. So her name is Herodias. So both Herod and Herodias divorced their respective spouses and they married one another. John the Baptist said, you can't do that. That's against the law, and it is. And Herod had him thrown in jail, and then Herodias had him beheaded. So it appears to me that what the Pharisees are trying to do is get Jesus to say something that may get him on the wrong side of Herod, and maybe the same thing that happened to John the Baptist will happen to him. It could be this is just the first question in a series of questions they have for him. And depending on how Jesus answered, uh, they were going to try to trap him, kind of back him into a corner. Uh, In Judaism, divorce was accepted, but there was disagreement over why someone could be divorced. During the time of Moses, only a man could initiate a divorce. A woman could not. By the time of Jesus, women could initiate divorce, but it was rare still. So uh, the focus is really on what the man is doing And, and the the two schools of thought, the conservative was you could only get divorced if your wife committed adultery, then a man could um, 
could, could divorce his wife. The more liberal school said you could divorce your wife if she did anything that, dis, that, that displeased you, even burning your meal. I mean, seriously, I mean, that, that's in there. I mean, in the, that rabbinic interpretation, even somebody burning a meal could be a reason for a man to divorce his wife. And according to De- Deuteronomy 24, and this is what the, the Pharisees say back, to Jesus when, they, when, when he says, well, what does the law say? What does Moses say? And they say, well, it says Mary, Moses said you could divorce your wife if you wrote her certificate of divorce. That certificate of divorce was given for the protection of the wife. Remember, for most of, of biblical times, a woman's welfare was tied to the man in her life. First her dad, then her husband, then her sons. And so if a man divorced his wife, that's not going to the courthouse. That's saying, I divorce you. If a man were to divorce his wife and she doesn't have a piece of paper that says I'm divorced, then she's not going to be able to remarry and she's in a bad spot because her welfare is tied to the man in her life. And again, that was true for most of biblical times. So that certificate of divorce was a way of mitigating the impacts of divorce, particularly for the woman who is being divorced. It's her husband initiating and she's the one who's being left. And if she doesn't have that certificate, then she's not going to be able to get married again. And she's in a really bad spot. So again, this is not Jesus saying, here's from the ground up everything that I believe about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Jesus is responding to a question that's really a test, that's really a trap, that's intended to back him into a corner to get him to say something to tick somebody off. And maybe even to get Arrested, And his response, as he normally does, responds to a question with a question. He's trying to, he's, he's shifting the ground that they're talking about. They're talking about divorce and Jesus wants to talk about marriage. And so he goes back to creation, Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall. This is what God originally intended and designed. Divorce is a concession to the hardness of our hearts. The reason there's divorce is because there's sin. If, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, there wouldn't be any divorce. But because they did, sinfulness, rebellion, resistance to God's will, those things entered into the human race, and they infect every relationship we have, including marriage. And Jesus says, but here's here's how it was supposed to be. And he quotes Genesis 1 and 2, and he gives three features of marriage. First, it's between a man and a woman. That's what he says. God created people in his image, men and women. And for this reason, a man will leave his, his family and be married to his wife. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And up, for, up until the last 20 or so years, that was kind of a given. It's not a given where we live anymore. We live in a secular country, and a secular government makes decisions. And that's, that's what they do. And we, I don't necessarily think we can expect a secular gover- government to make decisions that are rooted in the Bible. And ours hasn't when it comes to marriage. That's really, for me, is neither here nor there. For some of you, that is deeply personal um, in terms of what the, the, the definition of marriage within our society is. And you need to respond to that, how the Lord is leading you. For me, the issue is within the church. And it's dividing the church over whether or not men can marry men and women can marry women. At church our size, are going to be people who land on that differently. And I would just, there's a challenge for us there. If you're someone who believes same-sex marriage is is consistent with God's intention and design for his people, my challenge to you is what do you do with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? And what do you do with Matthew 19? You can go back and read that. It's a parallel passage to ours and to Mark 10. It's not just a really old Genesis quote. It's Jesus affirming that. And so how do you wrestle through that? How, how are you deciding 
how to understand those. And I'm not, I'm not being a jerk. I'm genuinely asking. If you're someone who's following the Lord, how do you understand marriage if it's other than the way Jesus seems to understand it and the way he says very clearly what it is? There's a challenge there for you to wrestle through that. What authority are you appealing to to say that's no longer valid? For most of us, it's a compassion argument. There's people that we love, and they're, they're gay. And so what we want to say is would God consign them to a life of loneliness or a life of frustration? That doesn't seem right. That's, if, you're, if you're born gay, then why would God say, well, sorry, you just got to be alone for the rest of your life? There's lots of different ways of going after that. One, just because being born a certain way and God making a, cer a certain way are not the same thing. We're all created in the image of God, but we're also born under the fall. We all have all kinds of proclivities and inclinations towards brokenness and sin. That, that really is neither here nor there. It's not about how you're born. It's about how we're living. But underneath, there's, there, there's, there's a point at which I think we all have to say, does Jesus know best, yes or no? It's easy for me to say as a heterosexual man. But at some point, I think we all have to get to that point where we say, does he know best? And does he love best? And that actually is the challenge to the church who would say, no, I don't think same-sex marriage is consistent with God's intention and design. Well, then how do we love people who are struggling with same-sex attraction? How do we love people who are actively homosexual? How do we love people who are married to people of the same gender. What does that look like? Right now, there seems to only be two options on the table. One is a complete rejection, which we don't do to anybody else, but we do to people who are struggling with homosexuality. A complete rejection of them. And the other is a, an uncritical embrace, which again, is something we don't do with anybody else who is struggling with something that we see as clearly laid out in the Bible. We, what does it look like to love and we need to wrestle with that individually and collectively. There's a couple of resources behind me you may want to pick up. One is called Messy Grace. It's a, a guy who's a, a pastor. His name's Caleb Kaltenbach. His parents were married. They got divorced. And then each one of them um, came out as gay. And so what he's saying is, here's how you navigate those relationships. It's super helpful. It, it seems to have been super helpful for people who are trying to do that in their own life. And another one is a book called For the Body. It's a bit more theological. It's a positive presentation of a theology of the body, of sexuality, and of gender. The, the thesis of the book is everybody knows what we're against, but nobody knows what we're for. So why don't we present what we're for and, and start majoring on that? It's not don't hear theology and get scared. It's an easy read. Uh, we've got some of those on order. We'll have them this week, both of those books, if you want to check one out. You can. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Second, for this reason, a man and a woman, uh, excuse me, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. The essential element of marriage is oneness. Two becoming one, which is a mystery. It doesn't mean that you're 100%, and then on your wedding day, you become 50%. And your spouse does the same. And so then 50 plus 50 equals 100. It doesn't work that way. You're still fully who you are. But marriage is a constant dynamic of submission to one another, of preferring the other, of dying to yourself 
so that two truly become one. And this is actually what I see as one of the greatest threats to marriage in our society. It's, it's our resistance to oneness or our desire to hold on to our two-ness. We want to be independent. We're looking for marriage to meet our needs, to fulfill our desires. We're not necessarily looking at marriage as an opportunity to grow in discipleship and to become more like Jesus, which is what it is. Hollywood says marriage is about your personal fulfillment and happiness. It's not. Our happiness, God, all things being equal, God would say, yes, I would love for you to be happy, but all things aren't equal. So number one is our holiness, and then happiness is somewhere down there. And you can, you can enjoy that. But you're, we're not going, that, that's not the purpose of marriage. It's not to, again, fulfill our desires or to fulfill our needs, again, or to make us happy. If that's how we're approaching it, the clock's ticking. It's just a matter of time before you divorce. Nobody can meet that expectation over the course of 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years for another person. What we need to do as a church, capital C, is we've got to recover this understanding of, of marriage that is primarily driven by discipleship and holiness. I know that doesn't sound fun, but it's, it's true, and there's joy in the midst of it. But again, there's particularly in America, there's this independence, there's this resistance to saying, I, was, I, was, I could do what I wanted. I was... I basically was living my life the way that I wanted to, and now I'm coming together with another person, and that's no longer the case. And this is the picture, two becoming one. The, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so the question for us is, what do I need to release so I can become one? Every one of you can name something your spouse needs to release. You got a whole list. That's not the question. What do you need to release so that you can become one? This is a scenario. They don't and you do. That's okay. It's not ideal. You're, respon you're responsible for your own heart, not his or hers. And so our responsibility before the Lord, what are you asking me to let go of? Marriage oftentimes can feel like dying because it is. You're dying to yourself for the sake of another. It, I'm sure all of you want to run to the courthouse now. It's just, it's true. I feel like we, we've swung so far to this other picture of the happiness and personal fulfillment that we've lost sight of the, the heart of marriage, which ultimately, I would say, leads to fulfillment in the sense of it's better to give than it is to receive. And so as we're giving, then it's the Lord who's filling us up. And we're not asking somebody else to do that. They can't do it anyway. Last, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is hard. So any of you that were in youth group in the late 80s, early 90s, you saw this illustration Red construction paper, green construction paper, you glue them together, let it count to 30, and then you try to rip them apart. It doesn't work, does it? It's a mess. The word unite is, means to glue together, that word that we just read. Be united to his wife. 
It means to strongly adhere to, again, or to glue together. In the context of marriage, it, it refers to sex, which is not just an expression. It's a means of oneness. And so when, when, when we're having sex with someone other than our spouse, we're gluing ourselves to them. And then when you try to pull that apart, it doesn't work. It's a mess. The reason Malachi 2.16, God hates divorce, he's put us together and we're trying to rip ourselves apart and it's a mess. It's never neat and clean. We're still going to be friends. doesn't matter. Two lives have become intertwined and now you're trying to untether them. It, it wreaks havoc and those of you who've experienced know it and it's not just the husband and the wife who experience that. Everybody connected experiences that ripping apart of something that God joined together, that God glued together. If all we have on marriage and divorce in the, book of, in the Bible is Mark 10, then the word is you can't. When they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus goes all the way around and says, here's what marriage is supposed to be. And he ends with what God has joined together. Let no one separate. Period. No asterisk. And the disciples, they don't get it. They've been raised as Jewish men. And so their understanding is their reasons for divorce. If they're conservative, it's adultery. If they're liberal, it's anything that upsets a man about his wife. But either way, divorce is okay. It's acceptable. And there are rules around how to do it. Just give the certificate. And so when, they put, when Jesus is, is alone with them, they're going, what happened? If you read Matthew's parallel passage, their response is strong. What they say is, if this is true, then it's better to not even get married. If you get in and you can't get out, then it's better to not even get in in the first place. And Jesus doesn't say you're wrong. He doesn't. He says that's only those to whom that has been given can receive it. I would say kind of the way we would understand is that who have been given a gift of celibacy or singleness. That's those who can receive it. It's a, that, that's a, it's a difficult standard. And what Jesus, when he goes on to, to, to explain, he says, if you initiate divorce, you can't remarry. That's adultery. I think the implication is if you're the one who's divorced, you're the one who you didn't initiate then you are free to remarry. Your spouse broke the covenant, not you. And you're not held responsible for that. So either husband or wife, if you initiate divorce, then you're not free to remarry. If all we have is Mark 10, then that's it. There are no biblical grounds. If you're the one who was left, then you can. But if you're the one who left, then you can't. But if you're going to look at a topic in the Bible, you need to look at all that it has to say explicitly and implicitly. This is, and, and this is a quick summary. Matthew 19, parallel passage. Jesus says, anyone who divorces his spouse except for sexual immorality. So adultery, I don't know anyone who would say adultery is not a legitimate grounds for divorce within the body of Christ. If your spouse cheats on you, then you can initiate divorce and you're free to remarry. You don't have to get divorced. God is always on the side of reconciliation. And my encouragement, if that tragedy happens within your marriage, is, is there a way to put the pieces back together? Can, trust can be reestablished and a marriage can be restored, but it takes two. It takes two. And so if, there, if there's not repentance, 
on the part of the person who cheated, it's, it's probably not going to work. But if there is, and you as the one who was wronged with the grace of God, if you can forgive, and you have to, that means you have to stay married, but you do have to forgive, then there's an opportunity there for reconciliation and restoration. 1 Corinthians 7.15 talks about someone being left, being abandoned. And Paul says it's okay. You can, if your spouse abandons you, they say, it's great. It's been great. I'm out. I hope you can figure it out on your own. You can divorce and you can remarry. They broke covenant with you. That's not two being one. Exodus 21. Some people have a hard time with this because it's Old Testament. I think it applies. It neglects. You can go back and read the passage in verses 10 and 11. It's, ba- it's actually about polygamy, which was never God's intention, but we see it in the Old Testament, saying if a man marries a second wife and he neglects his first one, then she can divorce him and she can remarry. And so if you're being neglected with abuse being a severe form of neglect, then you can initiate divorce and you're free to remarry. Those are the three reasons that I see in the Bible. Adultery, abandonment, and neglect with abuse being uh, a category of neglect. If that's happening in your marriage, then you have the freedom to pursue a divorce and you can remarry. If, if your spouse leaves you for whatever reason, you're free to remarry. That's kind of on them, but, that, but that's it. There's not really any, any word here about compatibility or you've changed in the 20 years since we've been married or I'm just not really feeling it anymore or you know you said you were going to do this but then you did this with your life there's none of that's in there I found my soulmate whatever that means and it's not you none of those things are biblical reasons for divorce it can be a hard thing uh, to grow uh, to grow into and I think there's some things that we can do as a church one is we can help people figure out who to marry We've made that a highly personal decision. I don't know that it should be. Once you're within a marriage, compatibility is irrelevant. You're now one. So it really doesn't matter if you're compatible. You're, you're kind of stuck with each other. So figure it out. But prior to that, I think compatibility is a great thing to think about. Way more important than chemistry, whatever that means. Some combination of attraction and lust and hormones and, the, it, it goes. It's, it's not, it, you can't base 50 years on that. You know. But compatibility, like, do you actually have common interests? If you're going to be married for 50 years, well, what, what are you going to do? That's a lot of days. What are you actually going to do with each other? Do your temperaments, is there comp, are they complementary? Do you at least know? If he's the life of the party and you're a hermit, We probably want to talk about that. And it doesn't necessarily mean you can't get married. It just means y'all are going to have to work that out. Introvert, extrovert, internal processor, external processor. All of those things, they're not X's that say you can't. They're things that need to be discussed. What about your vision for your life? If you want children and your future spouse doesn't, honestly, I would make that a deal breaker. 100%. You're not going to be okay if you want children and they don't. What about 
things about standard of living, where you live, relationship with your in-laws, all of those things, all of that stuff, it matters. And those are things that we need to talk about. But oftentimes we make a decision just in our own hearts. What do the people who know you best and love you most think about the person you want to marry? Because I guarantee you they don't feel chemistry with them. So they're looking at it objectively. What they're saying is, can I see my son, my daughter, my best friend, can I see them with this person when they're 45 and 55 and 65 and 75? Does this person cherish them? Does this person seem steady? They, they can help you figure that stuff out. I know that's, that's not, nobody's made a Disney movie about that yet. But it's important for us as a church to figure out how, how do we do that? How do we bring that personal decision into community so we're not making it on our own? I don't know that this is true, but it's in my mind that I read it somewhere. So it might be false. But if it's true, it's awesome. The Quakers, apparently, if you want to get married, you bring that to the church, and they decide. Like, they all do what they do. You know, they get quiet, and they listen, and then if somebody starts quaking, then they know, hey, this is, yes. I'm not saying that we have to do that, but there's something between that and where we are right now. Dads of daughters, you willing to have that conversation with the future son-in-law when they ask you, hey, can I marry your daughter? Are you willing to have that conversation with them and not just rubber stamp it? It's hard for us because we think, well, if I say something, I'm going to lose this relationship because they're going to pick their future spouse over me. And that's super tricky to know how to navigate. We've got to figure it out. We've got to figure it out. Ongoing within marriage, we, we, we certainly need to recover a biblical understanding of divorce and, and remarriage, but also we need to build stronger marriages. There's skills in marriage, communication skills and problem-solving skills, and everybody can get better at all of them. It's just the basics. It's just the basics. But many of us, like we're, that's, you don't learn that in school. Those aren't the kinds of things that we're taught. And so we pick up things along the way. And normally what we pick up along the way are the things that kind of protect us, not necessarily the things that are most helpful in a relationship. We can all learn how to listen better. We can all learn how to express our feelings better. We can all learn how to deal with disappointment and hurt better. Those are communication skills. We can all learn how to compromise, how to work through disagreement. We can do all of that. We just need to learn how. Again, they're skills, and initially they feel super uh, rote and artificial, and they are, but over time you begin to incorporate those things into your heart and your mind, and they become second nature. We can get better at how we relate to one another. And there also has got to be freedom within the church to acknowledge when we struggle. If you've been married more than about 20 minutes, you've experienced a difficulty. And it's like that doesn't mean that you made a mistake. And like honestly, if you made a mistake, it's... It's too late. Like, you're one now. So let's figure it out. Let's figure out how to do that. There are people who want to help. There's professionals and there's the body of Christ. People who've been married longer than you who can say, hey, listen, that's just normal. That's just normal. That doesn't mean that you're doomed. 
It doesn't mean that he's a creep or that she, well, it doesn't mean any of that. It's just normal. And let me pray with you and let me encourage you and let me walk with you. We've got to be willing to do that. And that's not just when couples are newlyweds. Every major transition point. And I was talking to Jeff, my, the counselor I go see. He said he sees most of the people he sees around year 18. Why? Because their kids are almost gone and they're looking across the table and going, I don't know anymore. You don't look like you did when we were 22. And you certainly don't act like you did when we were 22. Super common. All of those transition points, major events in life, all those things put stress on your marriage. And in that time, you don't want to be alone. All right, I've talked enough. This is what I want to, uh, what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. And I recognize this is a, this, you're going to think, man, if I go forward, people are, they're worried about me. And they're going, to think, they're going to think that our marriage is falling apart or whatever. Nobody's going to think that. This is one, if you'll close your eyes, Bo, you can come back. We'll have ministry teams here, but we'll also open up the altar. And I want to be very broad in this um, invitation. Because I really want you to grab onto it. So if you got, if you initiated a divorce and you're looking at that slide and going, I didn't have a good reason to, then you need to repent. You just need to repent before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry, I sinned. And then if you've gone on and gotten remarried, that you don't, I don't want you to feel guilty about that. There's grace and there's mercy. The only unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Nothing that we talked about today is unforgivable. And so you don't need, nobody needs to leave here feeling condemned. That's not from the Lord. If he stirred something in your heart, you need to respond. And repentance, oftentimes it just looks like acknowledging, hey, this is, I messed up here. If you're already remarried, then undoing that, that's just, that's not helpful. Remain where you are and receive the grace and mercy for your, for your, for your new marriage. Others of you, are, you're still wounded from a divorce, whether your own or your parents. And you need to ask the Lord for grace to forgive the people involved and for healing in your own heart. Some of you struggle with same-sex attraction. And that's something that you, maybe especially in a church, you're going to keep a secret and you're going to keep buried. And I would encourage you to bring that into the light. You don't need to stand up and announce it with a microphone, but find a trusted friend. Say, this is where I'm wrestling. Some of you have loved ones and you don't know how to navigate their sexuality and their relationships. You don't know what it looks like to love and you need wisdom and revelation on how to do that. Some of you right now, you're a closed fist, not an open hand. You're resisting oneness. You're within your marriage. You're talking about what you deserve and your rights and how much you've given and how much you've sacrificed. You're looking at it wrong. You need to ask God for grace to open your hand. None of this stuff is easy, but we're not meant to do it on our own. 
the Holy Spirit lives within us. And he'll empower us to do so. Some of you, you're in dating relationships and you've never submitted those to the Lord. You're just, you're, you're kind of making it happen because you, for whatever reason, you want to get married or for whatever reason, and you're running past some stop signs. And you need to lay that relationship before the Lord and trust him enough that if he or she is not best for you, then it's best for you to not be with them. So Holy Spirit, with all of this, just all of it, we need help big time. And I'm asking you to come and to work in each of our hearts. I pray that you guard hearts and minds that the enemy would not take things that are true and life-giving. He would not be able to twist them and make them condemning or death-dealing. If it, I said anything that was out of bounds or I pray you would, people forget it. We want to hear what you're saying to us and we want to respond in humility and we want to respond in obedience. And I pray for people who right now within their hearts, they're struggling around any of these issues. I pray that you would move powerfully and mightily in hearts and in relationships. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 